When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Uh, this is Ben Mullen. And I'm Scott Benjamin. <laughs> Scott, uh, I'm laughing because I totally botched this first intro. I started... I don't know what I was going for. Some sort of good morning Vietnam thing? It was kind of a rough start. I almost wish people would have a chance to hear it. <laughs> you know what? I'm sure I will embarrass myself <laughs> enough on Maybe this. Maybe on the uh, blooper reel. You know what? Maybe we can consider the blooper reel a design innovation for our podcast. Maybe Possibly. we should have a blooper reel as part of our aesthetic style. Plus, yeah, that's like a week off for us. That is totally a week off for us. Yeah, that's right. It would uh, be hell for the editors, but uh, it's a week off for us. You know, it would it would be uh, <clears throat> it might not be safe for work to let's, be completely candid. Let's let's consider it. Let's consider it. Yeah. And while we're considering that, let's consider the topic of our podcast today. Oh, uh, and there's a lot to consider here because this guy is somebody that we've talked about in the past, but we did more of a uh, um, kind of biographical piece on him. Yeah, sort of a biopic, how he came to be, his origin story. Exactly. Harley Earl and mm. uh, his design innovations. And in fact, we're going to talk about 11 design innovations that um, we've got highlighted in an article on our site. Um, of course, 11 Design Innovations of Harley Earl is the name of the, yep. t- the article. If you want to follow along at home. <laughs> um, but honestly, Ben, looking at this list, I mean, we'll we'll just briefly talk about Harley himself, but mm-hmm. one thing that struck me about this list uh, when we first looked at it is that um, a lot of these things, a lot of these items are still kind of hanging around in one way or another. Oh, yeah. Um, these, oh, yeah. Are, these are long-lasting things. Now, some have gone the way of the dodo bird. They're, uh, and, they're gone. Yeah, and some are ubiquitous, though, now. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. So um, I think, you know, let's, uh, let's get into this, but I think there's some, uh, some surprises in here. Now, uh, as we get into this, just to get us started off, I'm going to go ahead and ask our fearless super producer, Casey, uh, for some Harley Earl hero music.
And there we go. All right, so just a real quick recap. We have the podcast on Harley Earl's origin story if you want to hear it. But this fellow comes to us from Los Angeles, California, 1893, Scott. That is a long time ago. Now, here's the thing. He died in 1969. Mm -hmm. So he was 75 years old. He died in Florida. Um, But his career goes all the way back to when he was really young. I mean, I mean, really young. A whippersnapper. He he started working in his dad's uh, shop, which originally was a coach building shop um, that made horse and buggy coaches. Yes. And he started working there actually when it was already converted over to automobiles, the Mm -hmm. brand new automobile thing that was happening in America. Yeah, it's a fad. If God intended us to ride in cars, he would have... Made us born in Ford Tauruses. I don't know <laughs> something like something that. like yeah. that. So he he started to work as a what they still called a custom coach builder, mm-hmm. and uh, because they were in Hollywood, uh, you know they were they were producing cars for the Hollywood elite at the time. Mm-hmm. So you know a lot of a lot of um, uh, big celebrities came through his dad's shop for customization work. The swells, the movie producers, exactly. Yeah. So um, his his roots and you know the automotive industry go all the way back to when he was uh, a youngster. And one of his uh, one of his first design innovations that we have listed here, I think, is one of his most crucial contributions. Yeah, and you know you can't really get past this one without realizing that he was. This is the guy that was the first head of design at GM. Mm-hmm. So he imagine this: that before this time, mm-hmm. um, engineers were designing cars. Yeah, you got to remember that like they they just didn't have a section set aside for body styling or any type of, uh, you know, color combinations or anything like that. It was it was strictly about how function, not so much as form, was important. Yeah, let's call it utilitarian. Exactly, yeah. Imagine imagine an engineer designing a car, how it, how it would look. It would be very, very functional. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not be so pretty. Right, and that's, of course, uh, it's crucial to have, need it even be said, a functioning car. Yeah. But... It distinguishes your vehicle in the marketplace, especially yeah. at this time. Yeah, it was big for, uh, you know, at the time, it was big for General Motors. They, they started this division called the Art and Color Select, uh, Art and Color Section, mm-hmm. um, which they later named, re- um, was it Styling? Just was Styling. Just simply Styling. And now Styling is a, kind of a slang thing to say. Yeah, it kind of is, yeah. yeah it's I prescient. I don't know exactly what it's called now. I mean, maybe it's still the Styling Division, but mm-hmm. um, but at the time it was called Art and Color. And, uh, you know, of course, he, I don't think he liked that all that much. So he decided that right. you know, we'll call it styling. But uh, he was the first one to do that. You know, GM was the first one to do this, and mm-hmm. he was the first head of design. So, you know, again, mm-hmm. right there at the very beginning, right at the, right at and, the head of and all And they this. created this position for him mm-hmm. on his first day. Uh, Alfred Sloan, the GM chairman of the time, st- offered him this position directing the styling of all GM cars. Yeah, can you imagine the the I guess the feeling that you would have, you know, if you were able to do something like that, because right then he's got a blank slate. I mean, mm-hmm, where do you, where do you mm-hmm. start? Because I mean, everything you do is going to be innovative and new. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, he had great ideas, of course, but I, th- I think he had a wonderful opportunity as well. Yes, exactly. You have to have both of those. The uh, the the interesting thing about this first innovation is that it's difficult to estimate how fundamentally this changed the auto industry yeah i mean so i mean it's clear that number one it's auto styling studio right it was never around before this Mm-mm. this is harley's thing he he went to sloan and said you know what i think we need is this and he sold the idea it worked and 
I mean, now it's it's a huge part of automotive uh, the automotive industry. I mean, how are cars known? They're known by the way they look. They're not really known. I mean, you wouldn't. I, I don't even know how to best describe this. Brand, I think it but. depends sometimes on the model, but like the the Honda Element or the the Scion, often they're sold with these customization aesthetic packages. True. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a there's a look to every car. You can you can still if yeah. you're if you're careful about it. If you really watch, I mean, a lot of cars are starting to look similar in shape. Uh, but I think you can still pick out individual makes and models of cars on the road. I, I try, I, I actively do this in traffic. I sit and try to think, I, I name vehicles and makes and models if I can. And it just kind of keeps myself, like it's a way to keep myself fresh, like to, to see if I can recognize that's a Honda, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. a Core or Civic, and that's a uh, that's a Jaguar XJ. That's a what, I'm, whatever. I'm happens sorry, to me. I'm sorry, I got to interrupt. Did you hear that little gasp I made earlier? No. Okay, so I, I had a gasp of surprise. I tried to keep it minimal. Um, in an earlier listener mail, we had a writer named Matt who said that uh, who who wanted us to talk about. The very thing you just said, the globalization of car design. Oh, okay. He said, it seems to me the cars around the globe are slowly but surely starting to look the same. You know, this has been going on for a long, long time, though. Think back to, like, when, uh, you know, Ford designed the, the, the new, at the time, Taurus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of one of the criticisms that, you know, they're getting into this. I think they called it the jelly bean design. They called it the soap, <laughs> soap yeah. dish design. Yeah, yeah, something I remember like that. that. And uh, for a while, a lot of cars did look very similar. And I think I think we're... We're almost starting to get out of that now. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's less and less of that than there was. There, there are certain types of cars, like maybe four-door sedans, that have a similar roof line. Mm-hmm. Um, I see this big arc or arch. I don't know what better way to say it. I, I just don't I don't know all the terms. To sure, use, sure. But, um, but you can see a lot of similar lines in, let's say, the, uh, the Volkswagen CC and the new Mercedes. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of cars that have that same arch across, mm-hmm. you know, from, from front to back, like from the front yeah. windshield to the back windshield. Um, speaking of windshields. Yeah. Dig me out of this hole. Okay. Right? Speaking of windshields. Uh, no, no. I, I put you in that hole. I'm sorry. Uh, speaking of windshields, the one of the second innovations here, or the second innovation, yeah. rather, uh, there's no 2A, 2B, the wraparound windshield. Now, this first comes in a 1951 concept car. Mm-hmm. So... Here's what the wraparound windshield idea is. The glass curves sharply at the ends to meet the windshield pillars. Mm-hmm. So this gives it kind of a panoramic view at the time in the 1950s, a super futuristic look. Mm-hmm. Now, this is something that maybe people in our generations would look back on and think this was very Retro, for yeah. lack of a better word. Yeah, I guess so. You know, we have a, a, a mild version of this now. I mean, glass is not flat. No. Nope. I mean, most glass is not flat. You look at it like mm-hmm. a Jeep, Jeep Wrangler or something, you know, from, uh, I don't know, the 1990s or whenever, <laughs> you know, before that. It was still flat. Right. Uh, mostly. Um, but now, you know, most windshields have a pretty good curve to them. Nothing, though, however, like the like these old Cadillacs, like the 53 Cadillac that they're talking about. Yeah, the Eldorado. Um, that, I mean, if you want to see a curve, a dramatically curved windshield, take a look at that. They're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it has a, a significant bend in the front so that you can see uh, to the left or right in front of the A-pillar. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of a big innovation because before that, you know, if, a lot of times if if it wasn't flat, if it was, you know, mildly curved, sure. um, it would be two, you know, two segments of glass that were joined in the middle with a strut of some kind. And we, you probably can think of examples of that that you've seen, you know, like with a metal bar in between two mm-hmm. flat pieces that come together to form a, uh, you know, an angle in front. Um, that was not common, but, you know, it was, it was there. It, it happened. happened. Yeah, it happened. A lot of times it was just a flat piece of glass. Um, you know, Model T's had flat pieces of glass like that. I don't know about Model A's. <laughs> I'm trying to think, but you know, going way back, that's what that's how they handled it. And before that, there wasn't even a windshield. Yeah. So this this curving the glass and and giving it, uh, I don't know, it really does help the styling a lot. I mean, take a look at one with a dramatically curved piece of glass like this, mm. and you'll see what you'll see what he's talking about. Here, two things. Uh, here's a fairly good comparison. I'll phrase it as a question, Scott. Is Harley Earl the Steve Jobs? Of the auto industry, uh, you know that's not a bad way to say it. Yeah, I'm. I, you know, I'm interested to see what other people think about this. Constant innovation. <clears throat> yeah. Second thing, model line hierarchy. This is number three on the list. Mm-hmm. And when you said models, it brought it to my mind. Uh, crazy story, folks. Cars were not always sold with a hierarchy of increasing price and status. Yeah, yeah. And the example that they give, of course, is General Motors, <laughs> and yes. um, you know the idea that. You know, you would sell these vehicles in in this order. You would say like, okay, there's a there's a pecking order in mm-hmm. our in our field here, and our yeah. and especially in in our company itself, not just within you know the the making cars, but right. making cars at GM. The so, days of just black Model A's are gone. Exactly. So the pecking order at the time and and levels of prestige went from lowest to highest, mm-hmm. and it was listed as this. So do you want to do you want to read them? Yeah. Uh, starting at the bottom, you got. The Chevrolet, that's your starter car. Mm-hmm. We'll switch off. Pontiacs, we're next. And then the Oldsmobiles, I have one of those. I'm proud of myself. Moved up to the big Buicks. And then, of course, the Cadillac. Yeah, exactly. So Cadillac was the top end, Chevy was the low end, and in between, you know, you had three others that, mm-hmm. you know, they, they progressively stepped up in prestige and styling and, and uh, features and options and comfort items. And, mm-hmm. you know, so... The thing is, like, you still want to make them attractive. You know, you want to make the Chevrolets attractive. So, right. you know, he designed them to be attractive and, and designed them to, to, you know, be functional, of course. But when you get up to the level of, like, let's say the Buicks and the Cadillacs, mm-hmm. you, um, you start getting all of these uh, these really fancy options and really, you know, you get maybe a lot of chrome and you get right. uh, the styling that, that really stands out from everything else on the road. And um, that's where I think a lot of the time was spent was was you know, into the Buicks and the Cadillacs mm-hmm. of the day. Yeah, but, uh, it's, I mean, it's hard to believe, but, I mean, this this wasn't around until, you know, until Harley Earl was in position. That's crazy, isn't I just, it? I just don't understand. I mean, it's it's tough to think back, like, before that, that maybe the Cadillacs didn't have any more weight at GM than the Chevrolets did mm-hmm. or the Pontiacs did. Uh, um, I'm sure that there was a, a cost difference, probably. Yeah. Maybe minimal. I'm not sure exactly sure. I, don't, I would have to look back at the data and find out, you know, exactly how much a new Cadillac cost versus a new Pontiac of the day. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, when when Harley Earl came in and, and the styling and this this hierarchy pattern began, that's when you really started to see a dramatic difference in cost. And that's kind of when Cadillacs became the more the flagship. Yeah, like the Cadillac of automobiles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they became the Cadillac of. We are knocking it out with comparisons <laughs> today. Um, they became sort of a dream car, but 
not the dream car concept because mm-hmm. coming in at number four on our list is the concept car, which Harley Roll referred to as the dream car. Yeah, again, unbelievable. It's hard to believe that this didn't exist until the 30s because, you know, mm. we've been making cars, you know, from the late 1800s to this point. But this is an idea that's still very popular today, the concept car. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Now maybe I'm nitpicking a little bit when I say that there were other one-off non-production vehicles. I mean, that's essentially a concept car. There were plenty because there were custom coach builders yeah, beforehand. That, yeah, that's the thing. There were there were a lot of uh, custom vehicles. There were a lot of one-off cars, and they would show cars. But this dream car idea mm. that he had, this is, this is like, you know, we're taking it to the show. We're going to put every option that we can think about on it. We're going to, uh, we're going to style it the way we want to. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. And, and we're going to see how people react to it. And that's what makes it... A brilliant move. That's what makes it so smart because why risk so much money? We've talked before about how expensive and risky it is to engage a market with a new vehicle. It's so much smarter to just build one, make it fantastic. Yeah. So this superior. So this Buick Y job, this 1938 Buick Y job, was the first what they called dream car. Uh And like you said, it's it's a lot cheaper. I mean, it still costs a lot of money to build a concept car. I'll tell you that. But it's 
it's a lot cheaper than launching a full line of automobiles that you then have to sell throughout the entire year mm-hmm. before you can make another change. Or not sell. Well, that's probably the, uh, the, the, the more likely scenario. And we've, we've uh, talked about concept cars before in the show. We really enjoy these ideas. You see some tremendously innovative engineering. Mm-hmm. You see, frankly, some stinkers. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a matter of opinion, but there, I've seen some yeah. concept cars that I, I wouldn't particularly drive. We've uh, talked about some really bad ones. Right, and not all concept cars, a lot of concept cars, in fact, never make it to production, but still the um, the expense saved there, then the market research you can do, it's amazing that no one had thought of this before. Yeah, you know something else that saves, uh, saves quite a bit of money? What's that? Clay modeling, and that is number five on the list. Yeah. Um, clay modeling. Now, prior to clay modeling, which seems, you know, everybody has heard or has mm-hmm. seen this happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mm-hmm. can, it's on commercials, you know, it's 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 something that the, the industry continues to tout in that they, they make these clay models, even even with, you know, the, the latest computer design sure. assistance sure. that they have, uh, they still do clay models, Ben. Mm-hmm. It's still something that they, they, they hand, they hand form cars, they use uh, machines to, to form vehicles, I've, you know what? Later, I want to do a whole program about what I learned at Ford while I was there in their design studio. But they've got an incredible, Noted. incredible system to create clay models. Though it does still create a clay model. Now, all this technology goes right back to you know these guys working with you know these these hand tools that they've made themselves. Wow. So it's 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 amazing. It's a great system. What they do beforehand? Beforehand, they made steel models. They made full full out vehicle. They would make a car. It was made out of steel, and can you imagine to make a change on a steel model? How difficult that was compared to just you know, I guess plunking another uh, you know pound or two of clay on the fender and then reforming it to however you wanted it. Yeah. You had to take that fender off and then reform it. You know, roll it through you know whatever the English wheels or whatever they would do. <laughs> hammer it on an anvil. Um, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. That's how they know, did it. So I, I mean, it's it was a difficult difficult process, and this and this you know just sped the process up. Significantly, wouldn't it be cool to have one of those models, those steel ones? I would love to have that. I would love to have a clay model. Yeah, no anything, kidding. any of those models that they have, I think, would be fantastic to have. And a lot of times, they make the rounds at the shows as well. You mm-hmm. know, that, like the the small scale models. But yeah, can you imagine having a a steel model from, uh, you know, the nineteen twenties or something from you know, let's, let's say Chevrolet? I would never shut up about it. Oh yeah, that would be so cool, wouldn't it? I mean, I would probably be like one of those people who's just had a baby and tries to work the baby into every conversation. <laughs> You'd somehow make it the centerpiece of your living room, right? Yeah, I would. I might carry it around with me on a backpack, wow. depending on how heavy it is. Wow! And then always look surprised that someone mentions it. Oh, this, this, I. Oh, this, yeah. <laughs> this thing. Let's talk about it. Yeah, well, it is priceless. <laughs> uh, no, um, let's talk about something that is. <laughs> A purely a, a purely aesthetic, a flourish, if you will. Yeah, those are the Dagmars. Yeah, Ben. You know what? I I was thinking about this earlier. Now I looked up who uh, this is. This is patterned after. Mm-hmm. Now Dagmars. If you're not familiar with the term, I guess we could just. Oh yeah, we do. Let's do this in a PG manner. How about okay, that? Okay, let's keep it PG. Uh, PG, and the way that it's described here in the article mm-hmm. is that these are protrusions, uh, which were nicknamed Dagmars after a buxom. TV personality of the day. So you can kind of get what we're talking about here, right? And on the off chance that you don't, yeah, it's it's on the internet. Um, you can you can check it out. I'm sure your Google foo is good enough. Yeah. 
that you can you can work that so one out. It'll be Dagmar was actually the stage name for a woman named Victoria, or I'm sorry, Virginia Lewis. Mm-hmm. Virginia Lewis, that was her stage name. And again, uh, book some TV personality today. So you get the idea of what we're talking about here. If you don't, take a look at the 1950s Cadillacs and look at the chrome protrusions mm-hmm. uh, that stick out from the bumper, and uh, you'll get the idea pretty quick. And these these things do also serve a function. They they are bumper guards. Oh, so they actually, oh the bumpers. Oh man. Okay, so yes, the bumpers. And oh, they ben. they they do serve they do serve a purpose. You they didn't really the vehicle. you didn't really think we we're going to get through this without having some kind of discussion. <laughs> I wondered about this one. Oh, okay, let's move on. We're both turning uh, bright red here. Chevy Corvette. Oh yes. You know what? This this one. This is a big one. Mm-hmm. I I I can't tell you how happy I am that uh, that Earl came up with this or that this was his. Uh, uh, the progression of design. Um, you know, it came from he, he. Let's see. How do you want to go go about this? Because we can go back to the Le Sabre yeah. show car if you want. Okay. Um, you know, the Le Sabre show car is that car that was just this outrageous design. It was a fantastic looking car, in my opinion. And it but was he, his baby. He drove it everywhere. He yeah. drove it to work every day. Put something like you know fifty thousand miles mm-hmm. in the car, forty five thousand miles. Um, we're, talking drew, about, oh, we're talking about the early 50s. Right. He drove the LeSabre to a sport car race in New York. Yeah, he shows up in this concept car that is his daily driver. How cool mm-hmm. is that to yeah. begin with? And not only that, Ben, this is Harley Earl. I mean, everybody knows who this guy is at this point because, you know, we, we've we've gone from the point where he was hired by Sloan, you know, way back when, you know, there wasn't even mm-hmm. an auto style in the studio. Right. And now here's Harley Earl showing up at your race on the weekend in this uh, this this LeSabre show car, which you know had made the rounds to you know the, all the shows, yeah, had been popular, been on magazine covers, had been you know probably in the newspapers, I would think. And then he just cruises by like a regular Joe Schmo. Awesome! This must have been awesome. This so is super cool. He shows up, realizes that a lot of these guys are racing cars at this you know this weekend race mm-hmm. that are um, that are imports. Yes, and people like these small, fast, sporty cars. And guess what? GM didn't have one at the time. Yeah. They didn't really have a car that fit that bill at the time. So he said, let's get to work on this. We need to we need to do something that's going to be comparable, something that's going to sell to these types of guys, these guys that are very passionate about car, their cars and, and not only something they can drive on the track, but something they can drive on the street every day. And he made this decision in 1951. And when did the Corvette debut? 1953, which is... Boom. Darn quick. This guy does not play around. That was quick. Now, I mean, I know that the turnaround time recently has been a little faster. You know, it's a, it's, it's a shorter ramp-up time. Yeah. Back then, two years for something like this to develop a sports car from nothing, a ground-up ground up sports car, mm-hmm. amazing. Amazing. They must have worked around the clock, I mean, I would think, for those two years to get this done. Maybe they didn't have to make steel models. And, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, they're up to, what, the seventh generation of Corvette? Or, I mean, sorry, the sixth generation right now. The seventh generation is on its way in 2014. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is something that obviously is still around. My personal favorite, Ben? What's that? The second generation. I like uh, the 63 to 67 yeah. design, the ones that uh, Bill Mitchell, Larry Shenouda, you know the Mako Shark car, uh-huh, those right. concept yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know this, the one you're talking this, about. The Stingray concept, mm-hmm. that era, that was my favorite. I, I've got to say, like the C2 car, Corvettes are my favorite. Is it because of the Dagmars? <laughs> no, no <laughs> although I'm a big fan. <laughs> uh, all right, so we got integrated body design next, number eight. 
So let's let's talk about this. It's, please. <laughs> All right. So this is sort of a – think of this as a harmonization of design. That's probably one of the best ways to put it. Okay. Um, because beforehand, cars were – sort of Frankensteined together yeah. from the parts that were around. Back that, to the uh, engineering Back principles. to the engineering. And again, uh, as a fan of engineers, if it if it works, it works. And that's the primary focus. And what Harley Roll is basically doing here is he says, let's make all of the pieces of the vehicle sort of more than the sum of their parts so that they are all, um, well, to be honest, Let's make it fit. Let's make it fit, yeah. Yeah, which is uh, it's a crazy thing to think about now because, I mean, fit and finish is something that's so important now. I mean, a lot of people buy a car based on fit and finish, mm-hmm. the, uh, the quality of, of craftsmanship and putting the thing together. And honestly, like prior to this, prior to Harley Earl being there, it just wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, they had a bin of headlights, and you're going to use those headlights for every vehicle that we make. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with you know when Harley Earl was there. He's like we're gonna we're gonna have headlights for the you know for this. Ve-. That may be a bad example, but right. something like that. Let's say that you know we're gonna we're gonna make this part work on this vehicle no matter mm-hmm. what it takes. He said actually let's let's design the piece around the vehicle as a whole. Yes, if that's a, if that's maybe the way to say it. Let's not force the puzzle pieces together. Exactly. Yeah. And then we've got something that I'm a I'm a big fan of, and it's sort of a regret. Of mine so far. I, maybe I'm too young to have some serious regrets yet, but uh, it's sort of a regret that I have not yet owned a car with tail fins. Oh, it's never Number too late. Nine. Never too late. I should just put some on the you Monte know, Carlo, huh? You know, I've been talking about, like, we the last several episodes I've been mentioning old, old yep. Cadillacs that I've been kind of scoping out. And uh, this is right in the prime of the tail fin era and uh, and I don't think that's really what's attracting me to it. I'm not really sure exactly what's attracting me to these old Cadillacs, but something recently is drawing me to them. Now these things are tail fins are pretty much ornamental. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, these are these are something that you know just a styling cue that he decided that he liked when he was looking at a jet, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, yes. At, he was looking at a Lockheed P thirty eight Lightning, and decided that uh, the you know the, the twin boom tail of that particular jet that that uh-huh. um, airplane was something that he decided. Would look good on an automobile. Yeah, and I kind of like this. I like that he's taking styling cues from, you know, a, another whole segment of transportation and bringing it into automobiles. I, Absolutely, I, I like that. He took it too far, though. I think. Really? Well, this again. This is just my opinion. This is mm-hmm. just my opinion. But uh, as I think we mentioned in the article, the tail fins on the 1959 Cadillac. Yeah. Ooh, I don't know, man. Well, they're awful pointy. I'm just saying, you know, this is subjective because at this uh, point, yeah. at this point, um, it is an opinion thing. So yeah. there's well, just they, so much. For they them. first showed up in 1948 on a Cadillac. Right. And it wasn't until, boy, Ben, they lasted until like the mid-1960s when they finally went away. Mm-hmm. But uh, you think of like the 57 Chevrolet. That's one that's classic with a, with the big tail fins. Yeah. Um, the Cadillacs, of course, the Cadillac tail fins went sky high. They went way up, and they had you know they were very ornamental. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in my my opinion, they were some of them were really beautiful. Yes, I I agree with that. I um, I want some tail fins, and not too much. You know what I should do is I should just Photoshop a picture of uh, the Monte Carlo with tail fins and see how I like it. That might not be a bad idea. Maybe I, a clay You model. know what? I am positive. I, I know for sure that if you took that car to a, a local body shop and asked them to, to create custom tail fins uh-huh. on your vehicle, they would do it. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe they would, would roll their eyes, but they would do 10 it. 10 pounds of Bondo, but they would do it. <laughs> it could be done. They would probably also be able to at least tell me how to get some more chrome on my vehicle. Yeah, exactly. And that is number 10 on our list, Ben. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of chrome. Now, you know, there's criticism uh, towards the end of the 1950s that maybe he had gone overboard. Maybe they looked gaudy. Yeah, that, uh, that you know, Harley decided that, you know, he'd like to add... Um, what they call visual pizzazz in the article here, and I like yeah. the way that's, that's put, that um, it added a little something to the cars that just wasn't there before. I mean, he mm. used it He used it in a way that other people, you know, Chrome had been used on cars before, of course. Right. But he used it in a way to advance, like to, to draw the eye in or to to maybe divert the eye in another way. I mean, he, sure. used it, he used it in a styling manner that no one else did. To sort of lead the gaze, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. And it, uh, it, it led to the overall feel of the vehicle. Um, it just it got to the point where it got to be too much. And that was sometime in the late 1950s, believe it or not. I mean, you'd mm-hmm. think it would have gone into the 1960s, because I know there are a lot of cars with lots of chrome still in the 1960s. <laughs> but right. but uh, by 1958 is what's pointed out specifically in this article. That, that's when they think that uh, there's just too much what they call bright work, and that's chrome. Yeah. Is anybody else noticing a pattern here? we got the tail fins, the chrome, the Dagmars. There's, there's this... There's this um, ambition in his design where he says, okay, I've got this good idea. I'm going to see how far I can take it, yeah. and then I'm going to start to scale it back if I go too far. Yep. I like that. And more and more of this. Yeah, more and more worked. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations 
that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on to my... my very favorite one. Really? Very last one. This, this is, is my your, favorite. This is your favorite one. Absolutely. Really. All right. Well, this is something that I think a lot of people will be shocked. Now, this is the, the final one on our list here, number 11. Yeah. In 1956, uh, there was a, a show car called the Buick Centurion. And the Buick Centurion didn't have rear view mirrors, Ben. No, it did not. Had? Uh, I get to say it? Awesome. It had rear mounted television cameras. Yeah. In 1956. What? Six, 1956. That's crazy. Rear-mounted cameras in 1956 that would display onto a screen in the dash in the in the uh, in the center console. Yes. Now, that's incredible to me because that's we're talking a good uh, 45 years before we really started to see it come back again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just made an appearance in the in this uh, this. Well, I guess it would be called a dream car. Yeah. In the 1950s, clearly. Yeah, probably. It's a concept car. So. Um, you know, this came back in, in the, 19, uh, the early 2000s, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started to see some of the SUVs and the vehicles that, you know, you absolutely couldn't see behind because they became so big. Right. Remember, there was a problem, you know, like you, you couldn't see kids or things sure, or, or yeah. pets or anything behind you. To, you know, you couldn't see another car behind you. The neighborhood bicycle, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So um, this this is not a new idea. I think a lot of people are shocked that it's not a new idea, but mm. it does come from the, the, uh, the mid-1950s. And, again... Who was the head of design? Harlan. Oh, so, so if you want to be, if you want to be one of those, uh, I guess the word would be an automotive hipster with your friends, <laughs> and they're bragging about their rear-mounted television camera, their rear-view mirror camera, uh, then you can say, you know, I really liked it better on the Buick Centurion. In 1956. And then take a sip of your coffee. And then take a sip. Well, it'll be a latte, right? Of course. I'm kidding. Don't do that, you guys. Don't be. Don't be. That's insufferable. Yeah. Right? That's no, not that's, cool. It's over the top. But it is a really cool fact to tell someone, just don't act like, don't be condescending about it. Yeah. Because I, lo- I, I kind of lost it just for a second when, it, when, I, when I read this part because I had no idea that this technology dated back so far, because often when we talk about innovations that make it to uh, modern day models, right, they they come they tend to come from a couple of places. They come from racing quite often. Uh, they might come from the military. And uh, to see something like this come from a guy who was just really, really good at this. Mm-hmm. And then uh, to see this sort of technology not really hit, then it, you yeah. have to ask yourself, what happened? What happened in those 45 years in between? Why wasn't this a good idea any time in between now, uh, then and now? I bet so, it was expensive. You know, he was, uh, as they point out, he was a gadget guy. Yeah. and Which I think is kind of neat. I mean, that you know, of course he was. I mean, right. he, he was looking at the latest and greatest of everything, and he was on the forefront of that. A lot of times he was just sitting somewhere trying to dream up ideas of what we can add in. Here you go, cameras. Yeah, and so the I I haven't done uh, the the deeper research that I want to do to explain this sort of gap in implementation. 
but if I'm just speculating, mm-hmm. don't quote me on this, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm just speculating, I would imagine it has to have something to do with the cost of cameras at that time. Oh, absolutely. So I, would, I would think it have to. Versus a, a pane of mirror, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so these are 11 of the design innovations, only 11. Yeah. Out of many. I don't know why I'm shaking my you finger know, I, there. The were, there were many, many, many more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that some of them are still around as well. These just happen to be the uh, the 11 that are on our list. But, you know, dig deeper into the life of Harley Earl and find out what he was all about. You know, we've got that podcast from yeah. a long time ago. If you if you go back to our, our, um, our list of, you know, historical podcasts, I suppose, right. and do a search for Harley Earl, it'll come up. And that's, a, that's an entire episode dedicated to just the man himself. Wherein we mention a lot of the design innovations that are not on this list. Yeah, yeah, and a few that are on the list. So you may hear a couple of uh, repeats, but you know what? It's told in a different way, so there you Mm -hmm. go. So did you see anything interesting? All right, you know, Ben, here's the thing. The other day, not the other day, I guess it was a couple weeks at this point, but um, I did see something unusual, and I thought, i got to write this down. I had no opportunity to take a photo like I have in the past, so there's no real image to go along with this, but you can imagine when I tell you. I'll take your word for it. So I'm leaving my my home, leaving the the neighborhood, and driving down the road and headed the opposite direction is a, a Saturn, an older Saturn, like a sedan. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it, it caught my eye quickly, but I, I thought this was so absurd when I saw it. The Saturn had a roof scoop. What? A roof scoop. Why? Well, that's my point. <laughs> like, this is like, now I thought this was like a roof scoop to nowhere, right? Okay. Okay, that's yeah. what I call it. I bet I've wrote it, written it down here as a, as a roof scoop to nowhere, as, as Stuff Scott sees. Okay. But it could be functional, but I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason that it could be functional is that rally cars sometimes have roof scoops, and they are okay. functional. There's a You're purpose right. behind You're them, right. and I'll tell you about that in a second, but I doubt this is one of them, Okay, uh, just because of some of the other absurd things that were bolted onto this this Saturn. It wasn't just a roof scoop. No, it had some really kind of funky aerodynamic stuff that was bolted onto it, and um, I, I didn't really get a good inventory of what was there, but I do know that this car was not a typical Saturn. It was not a rally car, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no reason for a roof scoop to be there to cool like a, a mid-mounted engine or something sure. like, you know, like let's say a Lotus Elise or something like that, has, right, or okay. a Siege. Um, they have a roof scoop that's functional. It brings air into the engine behind the driver. Makes sense, right? Makes sense. Okay, this one, if it was functional at all, would be open to the cockpit area of, of, of the car. So it would it would increase air pressure in the cabin. Mm-hmm. This is why it's important to rally cars. It would increase air pressure in the cabin. Uh, it blows out dust. It keeps dust and things like that from being in, you know from coming inside the car, and uh, it allows hot air to escape as well. And uh, it's very functional in a rally car, not so functional on a street car. And yeah. I'm almost thinking because I looked this up afterwards, okay. and I was really intrigued by this. It was kind of funny because I was laughing about it on the way in to look it up to see if this was one of a kind or if yeah, other like people what, had done like, this. You know, what, what kind of thing is this? Because you don't see many cars with roof scoop. So I looked it up, and it's like about a two hundred to three hundred dollar option. And this one was painted, you know, to match the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So they they spent some time getting this one to match. Um, I just don't see it as being a functional add-on thing. I, I'm guessing that it was either, you know, solid, so there's no airflow going through this thing. Right. Um, but but in all likelihood, this is an aerodynamic thing or a uh, an add-on that actually hurts miles per gallon and increases, uh, you know, the, the wind resistance. Yeah, not to be uh, not to be a negative 
guy, but uh, I think you might be right on that. I don't know. I mean, I I see a lot of the stuff you know that happened. You know, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. So there's, I know there's a lot of, you know, nonsense add-ons out there. Sure. Um, you know, some that some that you know kind of look cool, others that don't. Right, like the big chrome pipes that don't actually do anything. Yeah, some that are some that fit well with the vehicle, some mm. that don't fit well with the vehicle at all. And I was thinking, Ben, mm. we've got this Facebook page. Yes. And I was thinking, all right, you know, the, here's the roof scoop to nowhere on the Saturn. I'm, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have people seen out there that you know are, are ridiculous add-ons that they could maybe send in a photo to our Facebook page? Great or, idea. Or something that you know they've seen that you know is, was so poorly done that it's laughable, or something that's really well done that you know you think like that's not bad. You know th- mm-hmm. it, this this actually does work. It's functional. That would be kind of cool too. Yeah, I want to see some of those ridiculous spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I've seen yeah. some even made out of two by fours or something goofy like that. Oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah. this is a great idea. What's out there? I mean, there's there's a ton of. I mean, you guys are all over the world. Uh-huh. Send us in some photographs. Just take a quick photo with your cell phone or you know whatever you happen to have. Send it into our Facebook page and you know see what people think and, and you know just tell us what you think about it. Yes, and bonus points if it's related to a car horror story. Because as we said in an earlier podcast, Halloween is coming up, and we'd love to do a Halloween episode uh, with some car horror stories, preferably from listeners. Uh, But, yes, send us your pictures uh, via Facebook or Twitter. We want to see some add-ons that you think are maybe ridiculous, some add-ons you think are fantastic. We want to see the whole range. You can also send them to us directly in an email. Our address is carstuff at discovery.com. Hey, Scott, one more thing before we head out. What do you got? Movie club. Oh, that's right. Yes, so... Uh, you got a pick for us? Yeah, yeah, I've got a pick this time. Uh, the Gumball Rally. You ever heard of this one? I have heard of it, but I have never seen that one. Dude, 1976, some vintage Gary Busey, uh, several groups racing for a prize in a no-holds-bar cross-country thing. It's sort of a precursor to a Cannonball Run series. You had me in 1976. <laughs> but the but the thing is, Ben, I, I love the Cannonball Run series. Mm. Uh, they're just... Funny, goofy movies, love them. But uh, but if this pre- predates that and it's a similar idea, I'm going to like this one. Yeah, and we hope our listeners like it too. Uh, if you guys want to check this out on Netflix and you're like, but wait, guys, I don't have a, an account. Well, no worries. Uh, you can get a 30-day trial by going to netflix.com slash car stuff. Let them know we sent you. And uh, the last thing we should say is the titles are subject to availability, but the uh, Gumball Rally is on there now, so check it out. Yeah, we checked it. It's there. Yeah, we totally checked it. It is there. And even more importantly, let us know what movies you uh, are watching when you want to see a good car movie or something with a car chase, right? Exactly. Yeah, there's a ton of those out there, and we love to see them. So send in your suggestions. Ooh. And next episode, we'll go check out some car chase movies. <laughs> For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com.
With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.